New to the living healthy lifestyle or a healthy living veteran, this is your place for honest answers. Naturally Savvy with registered holistic nutritionist Andrea Donsky and health journalist Lisa Davis. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis with Andrea Donsky. So thrilled you're listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. Remember to subscribe on iTunes so you never miss a show. Well, lately we've been hearing more and more about the importance of gut health. And there's something called the low FOD map. And we have got the wonderful Rachel Meltzer Warren, MSRDN. We're going to be talking about her book, A Teen's Guide to Gut Health, The Low FODMAP Way to Tame IBS, Crohn's, Colitis, and Other Digestive Disorders. Hello, Rachel. Hi, how are you? Oh, we're great. How are you doing? It's so good to have you on the show. Great. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, I'd love to know, first of all, what got you interested in gut health and then specifically looking at teens? Sure. Well, you know, as a registered dietitian, I mean, everybody is just hearing so much about gut health these days. And as a registered dietitian, Mm -hmm. we've known for a long time how gut health is so central to, um, you know, to our overall health. And for me, I have a real passion for helping teenagers and young adults understand how food impacts their health um, and, you know, empowering them to make the best choices when it comes to nutrition and wellness. You know, it, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. We, we talk so much about, you know, especially in the nutrition community, how we have this culture of adults who really are disconnected from food, right? People don't know how to cook. They don't know how to, um, you know, they don't know how to be great uh consumers. They, they believe any fad diet they hear, you know, and um, for me, I just see that we, I, I compare it to kind of how we treat uh, children and cars, right? So when your kids are little or when, when people are, when children, when people have young children, they're really careful with what they give them to eat. They're, they're conscious about healthy food. You know, we talk about it in schools with young children. Um, it's like akin to putting a kid in the car seat, right? We're really careful in the car. Sure. Um, you know, and then kids grow up and they turn into teenagers where they start making decisions about food for themselves. Um, and we sort of throw them the keys <laughs> and say, here, go for a drive, <laughs> you know, whereas um, we, we don't actually teach them how to drive. So I'm really passionate about working with teenagers and giving them that, that foundation, you know, and really helping them understand. So, um, you know, in terms of gut health, teenagers and young adults are affected by gut health issues just as often as adults. But what I found was that nobody was really talking to them about it. And I wanted to create a resource that would that would uh, do that. Hmm. You know, we have a lot of articles on our website about FODMAP, and they always do really, really well. And I think what it would be great is to just explain to people, what does FODMAP mean? What does it stand for? And why should certain people be looking to eat in that fashion, to eat that way? Sure. So FODMAP is an acronym. That's First thing to know, it doesn't. You know, the word itself doesn't mean anything, um, but it's an mm-hmm. acronym that represents several classes of short chain carbohydrates that can be hard for some people to digest. Mainly mm-hmm. people people with IBS, with irritable bowel syndrome, um, and you know other gut disorders that have symptoms that overlap with IBS um, can also be affected by these FODMAP carbohydrates. Uh, so it actually stands for in case. Anybody's interested, the acronym stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, and polyols. <laughs> uh, we won't test oh, you on cool. it later. <laughs> but um, Don't ask anyways, me to so pronounce the, it. Right. <laughs> I mispronounce everything. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that is probably the hardest part. <laughs> it's all easy yeah. once you've got the pronunciation <laughs> down. But um, <laughs> anyway, so the, the low FODMAP diet is a plan that eliminates, or I'm sorry, it actually doesn't eliminate, it, it very much... Um, 
cuts down on the amount of these FODMAP carbohydrates uh, for an elimination period. So for two to six weeks, you go on a diet where you drastically cut back on these carbohydrates. And then, and this is sort of one of the um, misconceptions about the low FODMAP diet, it's not meant to be a lifelong plan. It's it's meant for trial and error. So Hmm. for about two to six weeks, you cut back on these FODMAPs, uh, these FODMAP carbohydrates. And then one by one, you start reintroducing these different classes of carbohydrates um, to test out how your body tolerates them. So everybody's different. Um, And for some people, you know, some people can tolerate one but not another. Um, They, other people, you know, can find that maybe it really all depends on the amount. So they might not be able to tolerate, let's say, half an avocado, but an eighth of an avocado is just fine. So anyway, so the, the low FODMAPs diet is a tool for finding out what your body's tolerance is for these um, these classes of carbohydrates that can be particularly uh, that can be particularly um, problematic. Uh, what's the word? Problematic. Thank you for, for certain people, and not for <laughs> so everybody. What are they- you know. Some people no, so do we're just fine with s- all of them. So, so we're going to say, you know, what type of carbohydrates are we talking about? And how would somebody know they need to even try this diet? Again, I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a very popular way of eating, just mm-hmm. looking at the sheer numbers on our website. And mm-hmm. But how would you know? Let's say you mentioned IBS, but how would you know, like, okay, I should try that low fat? Is that something a doctor recommends? Is it something that nutrition experts recommend? Is it something that, you know, everybody who's listening right now will say, oh, maybe I should try it because I'm feeling this, you know? Mm-hmm. What would you say that? Right. Well, certainly for anybody that that has had a diagnosis of irritable irritable bowel syndrome, um, it it can be a great tool. You know, the research on it, you know, and and this diet was uh, developed in Australia. So that's where a lot of the research comes from. They find that for people with IBS, you know, as many as 75% of people have some relief from this diet. So it's, it's huge. It can oh, be hugely great. effective. Um, and I think that's part of why you're seeing so much interest is that this isn't a fad, mm-hmm. you know, for people that really need it, this works and there's legitimate science behind it, which is really exciting. Um, but the, um, what was the question? I'm sorry, I kind of just lost my train. <laughs> I get so yeah, excited. yeah, no problem. It was more just, you know, <laughs> we hear you, we're the same. So we hear, you know, <laughs> we're that. just, you know, <laughs> we've done that all the time where you're like all excited. So it's more just, you know, for people who are interested in trying it and knowing, you know, okay, so I know that I have, you know, let's say you have irritable bowel or I've been, you know, diagnosed with it, or I know that my getting all these issues, these gut issues, I'm going to try this low FODMAP diet. What are some carbohydrates? So take us through the diet a little bit. Because, you know, what right. the thing is, is that, you know, when people get diagnosed with something, then they go, all, you know, all into saying, okay, what can I eat? What can I can eat? So I think it's mm-hmm. just helping people understand a little bit what this entails. And I'm happy to hear that it's not a lifelong thing. It's more of like that, you know, let's go in, let's try it for four to six weeks. Let's see what it does for me. And if it works, is it something that you continue on doing? Or is it something that you're, will repair your body because you've eliminated these diets or you've eaten a certain way? Right. Well, it's something that you continue doing in a modified way. So you, you figure okay. out, you know, when you reintroduce these different classes of carbohydrates, you'll find just through trial and error what your body is more or less sensitive to. You know, and for some people, they find that, you know, one of the, one of the categories, they're just fine on. Um, and they can eat dairy foods without a problem. They can eat lactose, doesn't bother them at all. For other people, they find that that's something that they need to limit over the long term. Um, but it usually doesn't mean that they need to eliminate it completely. It just means that, um, you know, so, so you sort of, the, the two phases of the diet really are elimination and then reintroduction. But there, there sort of is a third phase that doesn't get talked about a lot, which is just life. <laughs> so it's learning to live with some of these things that you've figured out. 
um, along the way. And for, for everybody, that looks a little bit different. So um, in terms of what the carbohydrates are, so here's, here's kind of the, the trick with the low FODMAP diet is that it's not obvious. <laughs> so um, this isn't like, you know, just say you've discovered you have lactose intolerance and you, um, you know, you're going to avoid dairy foods. It's pretty easy to figure out what dairy foods are and what, what you know, you, look, you, you learn some keywords that, um, you know, maybe there are some less obvious sources that you can scour ingredient lists for and look for any food that might contain some dairy. Um, with FODMAPs, it's really not obvious. And, the, you know, even to researchers, even to people that do this for a living, um, we often don't know what a food's FODMAP content is until it is tested in a lab. So, you know, a book like mine has does have a resource guide where, you know, we'll give um, you know, and I've, and I've, since my book is for younger readers, I've tried to make it, you know, focused on foods that um, teenagers and, you know, college students and young adults would, would be more likely to eat. Um, so, you know, you can use a resource guide like that. But one thing that I recommend to anybody who's interested in a low FODMAP diet is um, there is an app that is put out by Monash University. That's the university in Australia where, where the bulk of this research comes from and that originated the diet. Um, the app is, I think it costs $7.99. It is the best $8 you will spend if you're interested in going on a low FODMAP diet. After my book, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, <laughs> forget about that. But um, no, but anyway, the, um, the app is a wonderful resource because it has a frequently updated um, database of foods. So if you're trying to figure out what to eat for lunch, you're at the grocery store, you're trying to figure out what to buy, um, you can look up any food. So many foods that are perfectly healthful, nutritious, you know, we think of as nutritious and wonderful foods, they still are. They just might be high in these, these FODMAP carbohydrates. So, you know, I mentioned avocado earlier. That's a good example. Um, avocados are high in the, the polyol sorbitol. And too much avocado can can be a trigger for many people who have these symptoms. Um, some other foods that you just wouldn't think of as a food that would be problematic, you know, onions, garlic, um, apples can be very problematic for people with IBS. So uh, oftentimes just looking up foods, you know, whether it's in a book or a database like this one can be, you know, that's how you'll, you'll really figure out what you should be eating. Um, And like I said, since it's a two to six week elimination phase, um, I think that what's useful for people is finding a a plan, you know, not not necessarily to follow it 100%, but to find some go-to meals, you know, to find, um, you know, and I have that in the book. um, And there are many, you know, there are some great bloggers out there that that have been kind of sharing this information. Um, You know, just finding a few go-to meals that you can kind of rotate through for those few weeks. Um, because, because there, there are, there's a list of foods that you can't eat for those two to six weeks, but there are so many more foods that you still can eat, you know? And I think just Mm -hmm. looking for, um, for resources that will kind of focus on what you can eat because there, there really are still plenty of options out there. Well, Rachel, give us an example of some of the foods that you can eat and that you can sort of make different meals with and rotate so people can, you know, have an idea of, oh, okay, maybe I can't have that, but I, at least this is safe. Or that safer. you can. Okay. Um, can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so for, you know, like I said, certain fruits and vegetables can be problematic. And, and that really throws people because it's, you know, you assume you, um, 
I think we, we think about healthy food in one way, right? So um, all of a sudden realizing that foods that you've been eating because you've assumed that they're good for you might actually be trigger, triggering your symptoms, that can really be, um, that can be jarring for people. So anyway, mm. so foods like, like I said, an apple can be a trigger food, um, but there are plenty of fruits that are perfectly safe. So a small banana is a FODMAP safe food. Um, blueberries are perfectly fine. Cantaloupe, grapes. You know, and again, these, these depend on the serving sure. sizes too, you know, so for certain things you don't want to have a huge serving, but just a perfectly reasonable, you know, size serving of these foods would all be fine. So you could swap out, you know, if, if you have an apple for snack every day, um, you could swap that out for an orange and that would not be contributing to your IBS symptoms. Um, another, so, an- oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, do you eat this way? So is this something, did you discover this because you were having issues and you've, you know, you found you came across the diet. So tell us a little bit about your experience about it. Yeah, sure. Um, so I discovered it really um, through my work with clients and just seeing how much of a difference it made. You know, I hear so much in my private practice work about um, gluten-free diets. And, you know, there, there are just, and nothing, gluten-free diets can be helpful to people. Certainly anybody with celiac needs to be on a gluten-free diet. Um mm. But I was finding that people with GI issues, you know, my GI clients would were really hitting a lot of a lot of dead ends. And um, once I started hearing more about the FODMAPs, the low FODMAPs diet, and trialing it with clients, uh, I was just amazed at the difference that I saw. You know, and people hmm. who thought that they were eating perfectly healthfully, and they were, they were eating really nutritious diets, but they might have been eating a nutritious diet that, you know. They ate a lot of uh, hummus. <laughs> beans, beans can be a big trigger food for people with IBS. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, apples, and like I said, um, garlic, onions, wheat is a big one. So um, a low FODMAP diet is not a gluten-free diet, but there's a lot of overlap with it because wheat is one of the um, or is one of the major sources of the FODMAP carbohydrates. So. Um, you know, but people are telling me, I, you know, I had a client who, you know, would eat a whole wheat, you know, a hummus sandwich on whole wheat bread with onions on it every day and an apple for snack. Oh, no. And she was having these terrible symptoms and, you know, then kind of trialed this diet and realized that, wow, you know, she was really sensitive to some of those foods she was eating and she couldn't tolerate them in quite the same way that she that she had been trying to include them in her diet. So, um, yeah, so, you know, just being as a practitioner, something that gave people hope. I think that, um, you know, with IBS clients prior to this, there was a lot of helplessness. There weren't a lot of places for them to turn. And, you know, with this plan, I really saw that it made a difference. And, um, you know, when I, when I looked at the numbers and saw that 14% of high school students have symptoms of IBS, it's, it's about the same amount as adults. Um, and, you know, and then also just talking to teenagers and, and seeing how some, so many of my younger clients were really just suffering in silence because they're, you know, the symptoms are embarrassing. It's not something you want to talk about often. Um, you know, for an adult, if you have IBS and, you know, let's say you have a sensitive stomach, you find that you run to the bathroom all the time, you're generally in charge of that, right? If you're sitting at a desk, you know, you're, you're working in an office sure. or, you know, you don't need to ask permission. Many, 
men, most adults, you know, some depending on your work, you never know, but most adults can go mm-hmm. to the bathroom whenever they want. Um, for high school students, they need to ask permission. They need to ask for a hall pass, you know, and and things <laughs> like that, that as adults, we sort of take for granted just led to so much um, angst and so much, you know, discomfort for many of the people that I spoke with that it just made me realize this diet needs to get to this population. Um, it could help them so much. And it's, you know, it's just a matter of adjusting the way you're eating. It's not taking any medications. It's not invasive. Um, there's nothing scary about it at all. But And it can really help change, change your life. Hmm. Yeah, I think so, too. And, you know, I know in the book you talk about, like, the embarrassing situations and the other, of being stuck. I mean, even my daughter, like, she, I have to go to the bathroom, like, every 10 minutes. It's ridiculous. It's amazing I can hold it during these shows. But, um, (laughs) but no, no, actually, I didn't have to hold it. But my daughter will say, like, Mommy, you know, I asked to go to the bathroom. And they're like, well, you just went a few minutes ago. And to me, it's like, how do you know whether or not a kid or a teen has a health issue? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think the teacher might assume, not all teachers, but that they're just trying to get out of class or they're being difficult or they need a break or whatever it is. But, you know, some Sometimes you really need to go. And Absolutely. I think there has to be more allowances for that. I mean, that must be really tough. I'm sure, like you mentioned, you see that with your uh, team clients. Yes, yes. And I did I did an, an anonymous survey while I was working on this book just to, you know, kind of, um, you know, just to hear from more teens and, you know, people that maybe wouldn't be so comfortable speaking with me one-on-one. And, you know, I just wanted them to feel like they could be as open and upfront as possible. And one, um, one, one thing that one of my one of the people who took my survey said that really stuck with me was, you know, I think I asked them the question, what do you wish your teachers would know about your condition and what it's like to live with this? Um, And this person said, I wish they would stop asking me if it's an emergency when I have to go to the, when I ask to go to the bathroom, because it's always an emergency, right? And that broke my heart because I, I mean, I remember being in school and, and I've worked, I've done a lot of work in schools and, you know, teaching, teaching kind of in a classroom setting, um, you know, doing nutrition, nutrition education kind of work. And, you know, when a kid keeps raising their hands to go to the bathroom, it makes sense that the teacher gets frustrated and says something like, is it an emergency? Do you really have to go? But for those 14% of high school students that are suffering with these symptoms, that's, you know, what could be more mortifying than that? Because it is, it is an emergency, but they don't want to tell you that. (laughs) Um, so yeah, and I think, um, you know, for, for, for the people, the teens who I surveyed who were doing a better job managing it, they were the ones who, um, did have some more open communication with an adult in their life. So whether it was their parents that they felt, they felt comfortable talking with, um, or a guidance counselor or a teacher at their school that they just, you know, had a good communicate, had a good relationship with and felt like they could be open um, or the school nurse can be a great resource in this situation. You know, the school can and should and is actually legally obligated to make allowances for a health issue like like this. So those students, you know, would have maybe a uh, sort of an I don't want to call it a a free pass, but they would have sort of a (laughs) no questions asked hall pass, right? Where the teachers That's didn't sure. need to know the details of it, but they just knew that their, the student had had some medical condition and they can get up and go. They don't have to ask. It doesn't have to be a conversation every time. And those students exactly. were, were much better off than the ones who were constantly, you know, kind of battling with this, um, you know, just just even to raise their hand to ask to go to the bathroom was hard because they were worried about 
the conversation that could that could ensue. Hmm. Well, how can people find out more about the book and about you and your website? Where can they go to if they want to learn more about the low FODMAP diet? Sure. So the book, the official release is today. So um, it's on shelves in bookstores, I hope. <laughs> it's on Amazon, Congrats. Barnes & Noble, all of the, all of the big websites. Um, and then my website is rmwnutrition.com. And there's some more information about the about the book there, and um, the book is on Facebook and Instagram. So um, on Instagram, we're Teen Gut Guide, and you can also find us on Facebook. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. I know how exciting it is to have a book published because I had one done myself. So very exciting times. And I do want to thank our sponsor for today's Naturally Savvy Radio podcast. It is NeoCell. NeoCell is the creator of amazing collagen supplements. So if you want to learn more about NeoCell and you want to help those fine lines and wrinkles and help with cardiovascular health and help with bone health, visit NeoCell.com. Well, thank you, Rachel. I appreciate your time today. I'm Andrew Donsky along with Lisa Davis, and you're listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. Like us on all social media at Naturally Savvy, at Andrew Donsky, at Radio MD, and at Health Media Gal One. Thanks for listening, everyone, and stay well.